Uh, I'm looking forward to having Brother Solomon come here. I, I like the guy, and I'll tell you, he's a good man, and I can tell you why. Because he's got relatives all over Wetzel County. <laughs> now, if that's not a good uh, if that's not a good sign, I don't know what is. Uh, over uh, Smithfield, Jacksonburg area, he's got a lot of um, uh, relatives and people over in that area, and so that's uh, good. Well, <clears throat> enough of that palaver. But I want to talk to you this morning about majoring on the good news and not the bad, majoring on the good news and not the bad. And uh, the verse I'd like to use as a text or a jumping off point is in Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all things. Sometimes we don't think we can do things, but God can help us and he can um, give us the strength to do what we need to do. Now, <clears throat> there's a story in Luke chapter 15. If you, uh, I, they're going to put the verses on the screen, I guess. But here it says, and I'll read this. It's a little bit long, but I want to read it because uh, I want you to get the story again in your mind. This is a story of what we usually call the prodigal son. And he said, uh, this is Jesus talking, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance in riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he <clears throat> would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but then he was yet a great way off, and his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For, for this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And now the elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, 
neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and hast killed for him the fatted calf, he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost in his town. Now, I, there's a lot of, I'm sure you've heard messages on that, and my whole message is not going to be on this one portion of Scripture. But my title was, Majoring on the Good News and Not the Bad. And I think we have an example, one example in this portion of Scripture. The elder son. <laughs> uh, <coughs> there's a lot of dynamics going on in this family. The father is delighted this wayward son who took his inheritance and ran off and blew it, spent it all, ended up eating with the pigs, living with the pigs, <laughs> uh, literally. What had happened? He came home. He finally came to his senses and said, this is not the way I want to live. And he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask my father if I can just be a servant the servants in my father's house live better than I'm living. Well, his father was so excited to see him. He just said, hey, let's have a celebration. Then the older son comes in, and what is he? Instead of being excited about the family being reunited and things like that, he starts throwing a fit. I'm hitting here all the time working hard for you, and you don't do anything for me, and all this kind of stuff. Isn't that a way a, life, a lot of life goes? I mean, people do make mistakes. People make people sin. People go out and do all kinds of dumb things. And yet, we as Christians sometimes we sometimes we don't even want those people to come to church. We don't want those kind of people in our church. We don't want this kind of. We don't want them. And instead of be majoring on the fact that God can save a person and redeem them and bring them into the family of God. We're, we're lost sinners. We're like this prodigal son. We're, we're out in the world. We're sinners. And when we come to, to the Lord and, and are saved, then somebody says, oh, you know, look at what kind of past he has. Listen, God is in the business of redeeming people from those kind of past. And that's what we have right here. And so what I'm saying is, Here's the situation. There's a lot of dynamics. The younger son has guilt because of the way he lived. He had all kinds of guilt. The father was struggling here because the son had come home and he's excited, and yet his other son is just raising Cain, won't even come in the house because he's mad about something. And so the father has all kinds of conflict here that says the father went out and entreated him. In other words, he went out and asked him to come on in and Enjoying the celebration. Your brother is back. He's alive. He's well. And I thought he was dead. He's just the same as dead. And, and here, he's, he just cutting a shine. He doesn't want to do that. He, he, so the father has conflicting interests there. And of course, the older son, he's just bitter and mad about everything. So I think that as Christians, as a church, 
we need to emphasize the good. Sometimes we get on the, the negative and just go and go and go on this and this is not right and that's not right and everything. And it's true. You know why? You know why things aren't right? <laughs> I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but we're all sinners. My wife had a uh, one in one of the churches, not here, but in, in Michigan, uh, she worked in the office a little bit. Um, and uh, she had a sign. I don't know where she got it. It was a big post, one of these posters. And it was of a Dalmatian, you know, a dog with all the spots on it, you know. And underneath it said, I'm not spotless. I'm just forgiven. Now, isn't that the, the, isn't that the testimony of every single Christian? Are any of us here perfect? Do we all make the decisions that are perfect kind of decisions? No. We're not spotless. We all have those black spots in our lives. All of us. And yet, we're forgiven. And we ought to be excited about that for us and for everybody else's as well. Now, <clears throat> sometimes we as Christians can't see God working in our life. We, we get negative because we don't see. Now, <laughs> I... Connie and I, I think we've got a good relationship. Uh, she's stuck with me for 48 plus years. And uh, I was teasing her the other day after she broke her elbow. And I said, <laughs> I said, this sounds terrible, but I'm glad that you, if you're going to break it, you broke it now instead of two days before we were planning to leave for Alaska. <laughs> and uh, she's, she laughed about it. And, and, and we can laugh about it, but you know, you, you look back in your life and you see that God does work things out. God does work things out. I'm four years into uh, incurable cancer. And I want to tell you folks, right now, not all the time, but right now, you couldn't convince me that I have cancer by the way I feel. God has given me uh, through the doctors. Now, I, here's what I say about this. <clears throat> this is nothing profound, but this is my take on it. The doctors can give me the medicine, but I have not one of the doctors I'm going to see will tell me that it'll work. One doctor says it might work six months and might work for years. He doesn't know how long it's going to work. I say this. The doctor can give me the medicine, but God is the one that makes it work. And if God wants to make it work, it'll work. And when God's done with me, <laughs> I suppose it'll just quit working. But anyway, that's we just have to say this is God's thing. And sometimes we don't see God working in our life. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are his offspring. That means we're the, you know, the Bible says when we're saved, we're born again, aren't we? We're the children of God. A parent's offspring is their children. We're God's children when we're saved. When we've asked Jesus to come into our heart and, and, and save us, we're, we live in Him, and He gives us the strength, and He gives us the ability to do what we need to do. 
And then in John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's an awesome thing that we're God's son. To them that believe on his name. But sometimes we can't see. We can't see God working in our life. And why is that? Well, we're his children, but then we don't, sometimes we don't know why God's working or what he's doing. There's several reasons why, and I'll just give you a few of them that I've jotted down here. Sometimes we're out of fellowship with God. We're not communing with him. We're not having, uh, we're not talking to him in prayer. We're not, we're not listening to his voice through his word. And, and we don't know what's going on because we're just not, you know, kids get in trouble because they won't listen to their parents. They don't talk to their parents. Oh, you don't understand. You don't understand, you know. Or the parents will do the same thing to the kids sometimes. Oh, you, you know, this younger generation, you're, you know. And so they, they go on. Another thing that I think keeps us from listening to the voice of God is our, our society. This thing about being politically correct, and you can't say <laughs> that a terrorist is a terrorist just because he's an Arab. You can't do that because that's not... Politically correct. I mean, we're having all kinds of trouble, and we're going to have more because uh, our 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 leaders are so intense on not trying to offend anybody. The only person they really care about offending is Christians, and uh, they don't care about tying into them. But everybody else, you got to be careful. And our society is permeated with that kind of thinking. And so sometimes, if uh, our secular society, it, it it penetrates our thought processes till we can't really see what God is doing. And sometimes we experience burnout. We just get going so fast in life, whether it's working in the church or things. I've seen advertisements in churches. That we have something going every night of the week. And I'm thinking something's wrong there because how is a family, how is dad and mom going to spend time with their kids? How are the kids going to be uh, in a relate, good relationship with their parents if there's something every night that dad and mom has to be out down to church. Well, I don't think that's, that's the way to do it. I think you ought to be in church, uh, uh, fellowship. I mean, the Bible talks about that. But sometimes we get so much going. But we do it in other ways too. Schools and sports especially where they have to be practiced every night, every night. And then they got games, and then they got to do this, and, and they never get to slow down. And sometimes we can experience burnout. Parents can do that as well. And then we see God's name put on everything. I mean, I'm just surprised sometimes at what people will, will say is godly, and it's not. When I see our leaders in government or our president praising a homosexual that quotes, comes out, and all that is a wonderful thing. Well, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so we sometimes don't see God working every day in our life because of some of these things. But God does answer prayer, and God, the Holy Spirit, does act as our comforter, and He does come along beside us and guide us and direct us. We need to come become world-class Christians. I mean, we need to see beyond you folks. You're involved in missions. Uh, and always have been. 
And that's good because I get your focus on the ministry in other places. And so we need to get beyond Fairmont and beyond Marion County. We need to think of other places and how God is working there as well. And sometimes we just see God do some real miracles. And uh, <clears throat> I think that sometimes we think, oh, we, we can't, can't afford to support missionaries because we need to save our money. The church is not a, a place to save money. A, a, a church is a place to spread the gospel, and that takes money. I was working in a church uh, before I even went to seminary over in Indiana. <laughs> and I never heard this before in my life, but I think it was right. The, <clears throat> they had a business meeting, and I was there. And uh, I was just working as a youth pastor, assistant pastor in the church. And uh, they were having their business meeting. And the treasurer got up and, and gave them a treasurer's report. And this was a pretty good-sized church with about two or 300 people in it. And they had quite a bit of money in the treasury. And some of the people afterwards were saying, well, we don't like that. We gave our money to be used to spread the gospel, not to sit in the bank. Now, isn't that right, really? When you folks give, I mean, out of your uh, income, whatever it is, <clears throat> you give it to be used <clears throat> Excuse me, for the spread of the gospel, not just to have a big bank account in the church's checking account. You see, I think that's the right way of thinking. Now, you do have to have enough to cover your bills and things, but I think that when we get to the place where we're taking in more than we're giving out, and it just keeps building up, then we're we're in problem. We're in problem. We need to see what there's all kinds of things out in the world that. Um, and I I want to just share with you. You support our son Doug down in Chile, and Doug he traveled over fifty thousand miles last year. Uh, speaking in churches every single Sunday except maybe two or three in the whole year he was speaking he just about ran himself ragged I went on one trip with him when his wife couldn't go over to Wisconsin and out to Iowa and uh, uh, we had a great time and we had some he had some good meetings but his support never came in he lost a lot of support the first year he's on the field some churches just closed up and some churches, they just had so much problems in a church. The pastor just wrote to him, said, we're, one pastor wrote to him, said, we're dropping all of our missionaries, all of them, right now. <clears throat> it's, if you're going to drop them, wait till they come home at least so they can try to raise some more. But anyway, he got it. But you know, he spent that whole year, and his wife, was Heather, was kind of, oh my goodness, why don't we get our support and everything? But God brought every bit of it in. Every bit of it. Right in the last week, he got notified for a couple, by a couple churches and it, it, they, God brought it in. I mean, God does those kind of things. I mean, he, he doesn't let us get it maybe real early. <laughs> when Doug was in uh, Cedarville College, he, the, they were challenging him. It's a Christian school and they were challenging him to serve the Lord uh, no matter what you do. Well, he was in finance, and that's what he's still doing for the mission. But he was uh, studying finances, and, and he came home one time, and he said, Dad and Mom, he said, I, I just think that God would want me to, to uh, use my abilities, my financial abilities, somewhere. 
So he went, he went, uh, we talked to several missions. I had five mission executives that were from our church up in Pittsburgh. And these uh, mission executives, we wrote to them and said, do you have a place for a guy with a financial background? And there was one mission, SIM, uh, Sudan Interior Mission, that had an opening in Ethiopia uh, for a uh, an accountant because their assistant treasurer over there had come back to the United States for for, depu- uh, for deputation and to report to the churches. Well, anyway, the mission set up a budget for Doug, and he wrote a letter to everybody that he knew and everybody that we knew, <laughs> and <clears throat> you know what? The money started coming in just a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here and a little bit there. And right at the last, we thought, oh, we'll never make it. And it, started, it just kept coming in, just dribbling in. Now, his total budget, I can't give you the exact figure, but it was over $4,000 to fly over to Ethiopia and spend the summer and pay for his food and stuff over there. But I want to tell you, it came in to the exact dollar and not one dollar or not even one penny more. Now, this is from all over the United States. I don't know how. I mean, it was just a God thing. I mean, people don't know whether he's got it all or not. They were just sending, churches were sending gifts and different things. And and that's how God works. And he just, as we do what God wants us to do, he will provide. And, and God did the same thing this time when he was home for, for uh, uh, this first furlough. Now, there's another thing I think that we need is we're going to, if we're going to major on the positive, we've got to not look at the, the things that could be negative in our life. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 23, we have the count here. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitude away... And when they had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to part and pray, and in the evening was come, he was... And then in Matthew chapter uh, 14, verses 24, it says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. They just saw him coming through the midst out there, and the wind was blowing, and the ship was about to sink. And it said, But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And he said, Come. Well, that's quite exciting, isn't it? How many of you have jumped out of a boat and walked on the water? <laughs> well, Peter did. You know, a lot of times we, we criticize Peter and say, oh, he didn't have faith. But I want to ask you how many of the other disciples got out of the boat. <laughs> he at least got out. But then when he got out, instead of focusing on Christ and walking towards him, he started looking around at the waves. And he started thinking about the negative. I could sink in this stuff. And sure enough, he started to sink. You see, <clears throat> when, we, when we start putting the first things first, we may need to get out of our comfort zone. 
the things that we're always used to doing. We all have habits. Churches have habits. Individuals have habits. And when we change and follow the Lord, sometimes we get out of our comfort zone. We don't like that. I don't particularly like that. I like to get up every morning and have my coffee and breakfast and relax a little bit, especially now that I'm, quotes, retired. I, I just enjoy that. And when I don't have that, it's kind of I, you know, I kind of feel uneasy all day because I haven't had my routine there. But but when we do these things, we have to understand that when we get out of our comfort zone, when we follow the Lord, like Peter, the Lord said, come. So he jumped out. Immediately he said, I've never done this before. Man, I could sing. These waves are big. When we get out of our comfort zone, we've changed. We've made some changes. And change always kind of disturbs us a little bit. We have our routines. We all do that. And sometimes, maybe as a church, as individuals, we just need to jump into the water like Peter did, but not get scared. The Lord told him to do that, and the Lord doesn't want him to drown. And he said, Lord, save me, and the Lord did bring him back up. But when we get major changes in our life and get out of our comfort zone, um, we just sometimes have real difficulty. And I think I, I got a book just just a couple months ago, and I gave it to our pastor, and he got so excited he went and bought a whole bunch of copies and gave to people in the church. But it's, it's called, the title of the book is An Autopsy of a Church. And this, the author of the book, he's a well-known writer, and he uh, did some surveys of 13 churches that died. I mean, they closed up, sold the building, everything. Just cut it right out. Quit. And so he went and, and he and some other uh, people did some research. Why did that happen? And one of the things that, that uh, would happen is that some of the churches would never make any changes. Now, I'm not talking about not preaching the gospel or anything like that, but they would just not want to do anything. And that's one of the things that happens because if we're following the Lord, we will have change in our life, personally and as a church. And we must focus on Jesus. Peter got out of the, out of the boat and as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water. But when we started looking at the waves, it was a different story. You see, <laughs> he started to sink because he was looking at the wrong thing. And if we want to be positive and look on the good news instead of the bad news, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not just the, the storms going around about us. Now, it says here that there was a great storm. And so here he's out here and these waves are going. I've been to the Sea of Galilee and it's a big enough... Uh, lake to really have some big waves on it and the, the way it's located between a couple mountains if the winds come down off the mountains start whipping that water it can get pretty wild and so here here it is and I think that we when we have change uh, we get out of our comfort zone and that's not real good and then we can be like Peter and look at the wrong things instead of the right things now, I know we all go through trouble. You guys have gone through some uh, tough times here at Galilean. But I, I really believe, 
Now, I've told you this before because I've preached here a lot. But I believe God started this church for a reason. And I believe that if you guys let the Lord lead you and, and, and pray about it, I think God can do some wonderful things. I would love to see this church again in the not too distant future be at least as full as it was when I came over here and preached at your dedication of this auditorium. I mean, it was packed right up here to the front. And it, it was, that's what we need again. And, and you can do it. I mean, not by yourselves, but with the Lord's leading. There are people right now in Fairmont that are not in any church. You know that. I mean, there's your neighbors. You, when you pull out and go come to church in the morning, there's people everywhere. They, they're not going to church. They need to be saved. They need to know the Lord. They need to be on their way to heaven. And the only way they're going to be on their way to heaven is know what the gospel says. So let's, let's major on spreading the gospel and not looking at the waves. We can look at the waves and get scared to death because they're, they're, they're pretty bad sometimes. We can gain victory over our prejudices. prejudices. In Galatians 3.28 it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. All one in Christ. That's important. 